morning again. This morning we are going to consider another aspect of victorious Christian living. And our title this morning is Perfecting Holiness in the Fear of God. Shall we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 where we read of this perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. Aren't we already holy? Yes, we are already holy. You know the meaning of the word holy? Basically, he is set apart. All the believers, all those who are born again, are already set apart unto God. So positionally, we are all holy. We cannot add anything to that position. All the believers are holy. I am holy, you are holy. All of us are holy because we have been set apart unto God. But there is a sense in which we have to perfect holiness. That refers to our practical holiness or progressive holiness. The first one is positional holiness. The position we have in Christ that we have been made holy. And this morning what we are going to talk about is the practical outworking of that holiness. Perfecting holiness practically, progressively in our day-to-day life. Perfecting holiness. Growing in practical holiness. Now, how does that happen? It says it is by cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. We need to progressively cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. That is how we perfect holiness. Then it says, that has to be done in the fear of God. It is as you fear God intensely in your personal life that you are able to cleanse yourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit and thus perfect holiness in the fear of God. Fear of God is something very, very important. You know, Solomon the wise man, in his Proverbs, as he begins that book, in the very first chapter and verse 7, Proverbs 1 and verse 7, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, all of us, I'm sure, are familiar with the book of Proverbs. Now, in the book of Proverbs, when you open the book in in chapter 1, starting from verse 1 to 6 is actually an introduction to the book. Why is this book given? You know, it says it is to know wisdom and instruction and also that uh, uh, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion uh, so that a wise man will hear and will increase in learning and all that. That is the purpose of this book. 
that a young man may become wiser, that a fool may become wise, and uh, uh, so many other things like that. Verses 1 to 6. That's an introduction. Why this book? And verse 7 is the first proverb. Proverb is a wise saying. Okay? It's a wise saying. So the first wise saying of the wisest of all men is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So, wise man Solomon, as he opens his book, the very first thing after introduction, the very first thing that he wants to say, talk about, is the fear of the Lord. So that is the most important thing. Now, when you come to another book by uh, the same uh, author, book of Ecclesiastes, you know, that's a book in which Solomon observes all that is going on under the sun. And he makes his own comments, observations about what he observed. Now, in conclusion, the last chapter, that is chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, and in conclusion, verse 13, chapter 12 and verse 13, here Solomon gives the conclusion of all his observations. He looked at everything in the world, he observed everything, And he has noted down his observations. And in conclusion he says, come on here. This is the conclusion of all things. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What's the conclusion of the whole matter? Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. So having observed everything under the sun, Solomon comes to this conclusion. The sum and substance of everything I have learned under the sun is, you should fear God and keep his commandments. So in the book of Proverbs, he said it as the first thing. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he says says it as the last thing. Last means as, The sum and substance of everything or the conclusion of all things. Fear God. That's something very, very important. So, in our study on victorious Christian life, as we read in 2 Corinthians 7.1, we can increase in practical holiness only to the extent that we fear God. Our progress in holiness is proportionate to our fear of God. Now, fear of God is a, is a thing that is taught throughout the scriptures. Let me just show you a few more uh, verses. There are many more, but we'll just, uh, for a sample, we'll just look at some of those verses. Now, if you will come with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And verse 13. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God... And serve him and shall swear by his name. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. He says, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Fear the Lord. 
Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 13. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. What a verse. Sanctify the Lord, Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. In the first epistle of Peter in the New Testament, chapter 2, first epistle of Peter, chapter 2 and verse 17. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. There Peter says, fear God. So fear of the Lord is something very, very important. Fear God. Now, if you look at various translations in various languages, the fear of the Lord is also translated as godliness. For example, in Malayalam Bible, it is translated as, not as fear of God, it is translated as bhakti in many places. Like for example, in, in, in Proverbs 1, that verse, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those of you know the Malayalam version of that verse, you know that there it is not the fear of the Lord. It says true godliness. See, in Psalm 25, there is a verse, Who is the man who fears the Lord? In Malayalam Bible, it says, Who is that man who is godly? That's how it is translated. In Hindi, of course, it is fear of the Lord. Parmeshur ki bhai manna. That is in Hindi, fear of the Lord. So, these two <coughs> usages are interchangeably used. In some translations, you would read, fear the Lord. And in some translations, you would read, be godly. Now, the reason is, both are the same. To be a godly person is to be a person who fears the Lord. To fear God is to be godly. It's the same thing. That is why it is interchangeably used in various translations. Now, we're going to look at how we can increase in holiness or perfect holiness in the fear of God. You know, in Victor, when we talk about victorious Christian life, maintaining holiness is a very, very important thing. That is how you live a victorious life. You maintain holiness in your practical life. How do you maintain holiness in your practical life? By the fear of God. That is what we are going to look at this morning. Now, please come with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20 is that chapter in which we get the Ten Commandments. You know, God comes down and he gives them the Ten Commandments. All of us are familiar with those Ten Commandments. In chapter 20 of Exodus, and verse 20, 20, 20, Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your eyes, your, your faces, that ye sin not. You see, fear of God and holiness come together in this verse. Moses says, that you may fear God and sin not. That means when you truly fear God, that will keep you away from sin. God is come down, uh, come to prove you, and that his fear 
may be before your eyes, before your faces. When God's fear is before your eyes, that will keep you away from sin. Let's see how that happens. You know, the context is the Ten Commandments. That is what we read in that chapter. You see, when God gave those Ten Commandments, after he gave nine, let me put it this way, he put a plus one. That is the Tenth Commandment. You know, what's the Tenth Commandment? Thou shall not covet. That is verse 17. Exodus 20, verse 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his axe, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Don't covet anything that is thy neighbor's, including the neighbor's daughter. Okay? So, no coveting anyone. No coveting the neighbor's son or daughter or ox or ass or servant or wife. Uh, it says... Uh, thou shall not covet anything that belongs to the neighbor. Now, <clears throat> that is the tenth commandment. Now, if you closely observe all the ten commandments, there is a great difference between the first nine and the tenth one. The difference is, the first nine commandments are basically external actions. Say, for example, uh, uh, stealing or killing or committing adultery, or bearing false witness, or worshipping idols, or observing the seventh day Sabbath. You know, they are all external things. They are external acts. And if you disobey any one of them, it can easily be find out, found out. You know, if you, if you worship an idol in your room, if you have a puja room in your house and you're worshipping idol, anyone who comes into your house can find out that you're an idol worshipper. In the book of Deuteronomy, I think, you know, we read of a man who went to collect firewood on the Sabbath day. You may have read that. That was found out. You know, anyone can see that. If you go around collecting firewood on the Sabbath day, you're working. You're breaking the command. And it was soon found, found out by other people and was reported to Moses. You know what the punishment was? He was instructed to be stoned to death because he broke the the, the uh, the commandment concerning Sabbath. So, the first nine commandments, if you break them, it can be found out because they are external. Next Saturday, next Sabbath, will anyone go to collect firewood? I'm pretty sure no one would go out because they know what happened last Sabbath. This fellow who, who went out to work was stoned to death. Next week, no one would go out to collect firewood or to do any work because they fear Moses. They fear their leader or they fear the society. They are afraid of the people around them. See, you can obey all the nine commandments even when you don't fear God. If you fear your society, the people or the leader Moses, you will still obey all the nine. Did you understand that? You don't have to fear God for that. Suppose there is a man who doesn't fear God. But he is definitely, he fears his life. He's afraid of Moses, no doubt. He's afraid of his, you know, other people around him. So even if he doesn't fear God, he will still obey all the nine. Because if he doesn't obey, it can be found out. 
people can see that you are not obeying. It will be reported to Moses and you will be punished. So, obeying those nine commandments does not prove unmistakably that you fear God. It proves definitely that you fear man. You may be one who fears God, but it doesn't prove that unmistakably. And then after the nine commandments, God gave a tenth commandment. See, God is all wise. He knows how to do things. You know what is special about the tenth commandment? It is not an external thing. Thou shalt not covet in thine heart. If a man covets his neighbor's wife or neighbor's daughter, is there any way to find it out? Only when he jumps the wall you can find out. But if he just covets in his heart, you cannot find out. So why should he obey the tenth commandment? Why should he obey the tenth commandment? There's only one reason. If he fears God. Did you follow that? Even if you don't fear God, you will still obey all the nine. But a man who obeys the tenth commandment is one who truly fears God. Because even if he breaks that commandment, nobody is going to find out. If he covers something, the person sitting next to him cannot find that out. He doesn't know that he is coveting. If he commits that sin, no man on earth can find out. That is something that takes place in the invisible area of your personality. That breaking the commandment or disobedience is invisible to the eyes of man. It is visible only to God. So, even if you obey all the nine commandments, you still don't prove unmistakably that you fear God. But a man who obeys the tenth commandment, he proves beyond any shadow of doubt that he truly fears God. I keep my thoughts pure. Not because I'm afraid of Moses, because Moses has no way of finding out what's going on in my heart. Not because I'm afraid of my elders. They cannot find out what's going on in my heart. If I do something externally, they can find out. But if I just desire something in my heart, there's no way they can find out. It's not because my wife will find out because she doesn't know. Not because my husband can find out because he doesn't know. Obeying the Ten Commandments or the Tenth Commandment is a matter of the fear of God. God says, I've come down... He has come down so that he may prove you and that you may have the fear of God. I want to derive a conclusion from this truth. You know what that is? To fear God is to keep your inner life pure. If you don't smoke, that doesn't prove you don't fear God. You are afraid of the other members in your assembly. That's why you don't smoke. If you don't drink, maybe you are afraid of others. If you don't do something immoral or something evil, that may be because you are afraid you will be, fu- you will be found out. That may be the reason. You know, people do this for fear of God also, no doubt. But you cannot prove it ultimately. 
But a man who keeps his inner life, his thought life, that is invisible to the eyes of man, he proves beyond any shadow of doubt that he fears God. Because God is the only one who can see what's going on in his heart. No one else can find out. So the 10th commandment, I think, God gave purposely. Putting a plus one, so to say. To know who is it that actually fears God. Who is he that actually fears God. So the derivation is, to fear God is to keep our inner life pure. Inner life means that part of man that is invisible to the eyes of man. That area that is visible only to the eyes of God. He keeps his thoughts pure. He keeps his imaginations pure. He keeps his deliberations, his plans, his desires pure. Not because somebody else will find out. No one else can find out. Only because he fears God. So I think the essence of godliness or the fear of God is to maintain purity in your thought life, in your inner life. Whatever we may do externally, there may be other reasons for doing it. Maybe to maintain your testimony. Maybe to appear good before the eyes of man. Maybe that you may not be punished by your church, disciplined by your church. There can be many reasons. But there is only one reason for keeping our inner life pure. That is because I fear God. Because God is the only one who sees what's going on in my heart. You know, God is pretty interested in that. Did you know that? What goes on in your heart. Not only what you do externally. See, when you come to Genesis chapter 6, that's, uh, the context is Noah's fled. All of, you, all of you know that. Noah's fled is what we read of in Genesis uh, 6 and 7 and all that. And... Uh, in Genesis chapter 6, why did God punish the earth? Why did God decide to destroy the whole earth? You know, we read in Genesis 6 and we, uh, in verses 11 and 12, we read of <clears throat> what was wrong on the earth. Huh? And uh, look at those verses, verse 11, Roman, uh, um, Genesis 6 and 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. That's the reason why God decided to destroy the earth. Now look at verse 5. And when it says God, you know, the whole earth had corrupted its ways, there is an explanation given in verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that, look at this, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God was looking at the imagination and the thoughts of man's heart and God saw that it was evil continually. And the next verse says, it grieved God at his heart. So, when it says the whole earth had 
corrupted its ways not only that they were living in drunkenness or immorality or or living a, a, a dishonest life that is true but more than that we read god looked at the imaginations and thoughts of man's heart god is interested in that not just what you do externally god wants to know what's going on in your mind god wants to know how your imaginations are what are the thoughts that you entertain in your heart in psalm 51 that prayer of repentance that david prayed david says oh god you seek truth in the inward parts god of the bible is a god who is interested in truth in the inward parts that is our inner life our thought life our imaginations our desires our plannings our schemings our aspirations god wants to know what's going on inside of you that is something man cannot find out and we are not interested you know we don't want to know what's going on in the heart of another person but we just want to know what what they are doing how their life is how their testimony is that is what we are concerned about but god is concerned about something deeper what an awesome thought that is let's remember that god knows all that's going on you know we read in the book of samuel man looks at the outside but god looks at the hearts in the book of revelation we have a verse that says god looks at the intents of our hearts what goes on in your heart so let me bring out this principle from this truth to fear god is to keep our inner life our thought life pure in the book of proverbs wise man solomon has said as a man thinketh in his heart so is he your real personality is not what is shown outside your real personality is what you are in your thoughts my real personality is not what you see on the pulpit that's not my real personality my real personality is what i am in my thought life what am i thinking about what are the thoughts that i entertain in my heart what are the desires i entertain in my heart that is my real self as a man thinketh in his heart so is he so your real self is what you are in your thoughts and if you are able to maintain purity in your thought life that shows that you really fear god because there is no other reason for that there's no other explanation for that maintaining purity in our thought life have you ever thought about this are we really concerned about this our inner life you know our mind is the control tower of our personality our mind is the control tower of our personality what goes on in the mind that is exactly what we do what goes on in the mind is what comes out in the form of actions so if you keep your heart pure you will never have to feel sorry about an evil action you know in the old testament it said thou shall not commit adultery 
But in the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 28, the Lord Jesus said, Thou shalt not even cast an evil look at others. That leads to adultery. Old Testament dealt with the action, the external manifestation. New Testament or the Lord Jesus deals with something deeper than that. Not just the act, but the very thought or very look that leads to that action. The Old Testament, you know, generally talked about doing something against your neighbor or hurting your neighbor or fighting with him. But the New Testament goes deeper and it talks about hating your neighbor in your heart or belittling him, calling him a fool. See, that is what leads to murder. You read in the epistle of John that he who hates his brother is a murderer. How does he become a murderer if you hate your brother? See, murder doesn't happen all on a sudden, one fine morning. You don't decide to kill anyone. No. It begins as a thought. Maybe it begins from jealousy. And you, you become fearful of him. Huh? He becomes your competitor. And you get angry at him. You begin to hate him more and more. And one day you decided to finish him off. Anger is potential murder. In anger, the seed of murder is there. See, this is very clearly seen in the life of uh, Saul and David. I have no time to take you there. When you read the book of uh, Samuel, after uh, David defeated Goliath, he is brought to the limelight. God uses that uh, incident to uh, bring David up to the limelight. And there we read, when the women in Israel sang that song, Huh? Praising David. We read there that when Saul heard this song, he was angry. Oh, this young man is going to beat me. If he comes up like this, I'm going to lose my place. He will become more prominent than me. That's a thought that came to him. He became jealous. He was afraid. You continue to read that chapter. It says he was more afraid. And finally, in the next chapter... Verse 1 it says, David decided to kill, uh, sorry, Saul decided to kill David. That did not happen on a fine morning. It started with jealousy. The moment he heard that song, that's where it started. Then it developed into so many other things. It became fear, it became hatred, and finally uh, uh, anger, and finally he, he said, I'm going to finish him off. But if he had controlled that first thought in his heart, the moment he heard that song, if he had done something about it, the rest of the story would have been totally different. That goes to say, if you know how to control your thoughts, you can avoid a lot of problems in your life. Many of those problems are a result of wrong thoughts, wrong thinking in our heart. When I read that passage, I thought like this. You know, the women in Israel were singing. Um, he slew souls to thousands and David ten thousands. When that song came to his ears, David's uh, soul felt bad. Oh, this young fellow, 
is becoming more prominent than me. And that's what developed into murder. But I just thought like this. When he heard that song and he felt bad about it, that's quite natural. You know, when someone is praised more than you, someone overtakes you, you may feel bad. Even I may feel bad. Anyone can feel bad because we are human beings. Huh? We cannot say that, oh, we, I will never be tempted in that area. I don't think so. Uh, if you are a normal person, I think you will feel bad about it. You may feel bad, not necessarily. And when he felt bad about it, he should have gone to God and said, Oh God, I am feeling a bit un- uncomfortable about this fellow. I don't like to hear this song. There is something wrong with me. But I realized that if this young lad had not come to the scene, Goliath would have defeated us. He would have gone home with my head. Thank you, Lord, for bringing this boy. Though I feel a bit uncomfortable, that's all right. Lord, I thank you for bringing him into the scene. I know he is your man. It is through him that you delivered Israel. You delivered me. Thank you, Lord, for David. If he had done that small exercise in his heart, I tell you, the rest of the story would have been different. There would have been no need for Saul to chase after David in mountains and caves and wilderness and all that. Dear brothers and sisters, that's exactly what we should do. As human beings, sometimes we can be uh, haunted with wrong thoughts, maybe thoughts of jealousy, thoughts of lust, thoughts of anger, and all that can come into our heart. The moment you feel it, immediately take it to the Lord honestly. As I told you last night, be honest with God. Go to God and say, oh God, I'm feeling bad about what's going on. But I need your grace. I know this attitude is not right. I want you to help me. I don't want to have this attitude of jealousy. I feel that, but I know it's wrong. I need your help. I need victory here. I'm not satisfied with this. I want victory over my jealousy, my anger. I need your help. If you deal with that issue at the very butt stage, at the very origin stage, God will give you the grace to handle it and your heart will be clean of jealousy and anger and bitterness and you will be able to love David and be in friendship with him. That will save a lot of trouble. But if you entertain that evil thought, you're going to be in trouble. You know, you, you know this uh, we, we often hear people with a heart condition, you know, heart problem. We always hear that if they have a, if they feel something wrong, they should put a medicine, sorbitat or something, right? You know that. Eh? Under their tongue. You've heard that. That's exactly what you should do. When you feel something goes wrong in your heart, immediately take a pill. What is that pill? You go to God and say, God, there is something wrong with me. I'm not feeling comfortable with that person. I feel jealous. Lord, help me. See, that is what it means to be honest. You can go to God and say that. Lord, deliver me. Help me. And God will surely help you. Then God knows that you are honest. You want victory. You don't want to be hypocrite. You're interested in victorious Christian life. And God is there to help all those who are honest and sincere before him. But if you just ignore it, Just feed that thought, allow that thought to control you, that's definitely going to lead you into so many troubles. 
So what we are talking about is our thought life. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, there is a, a, a principle that we can use in connection with controlling our thoughts. Now here in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Apostle Paul is talking about, not about dirty thoughts, he is talking about something else. But the principle that he applies here, we can borrow it and apply in our situation. Look at that verse. Casting down, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What a beautiful verse. Bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Bring into captivity. Bring into captivity means arrest. That's a simple word for it. Bring into captivity. You control. You arrest. Every thought. Not only big thoughts or, you know, sizable thoughts, large thoughts. Every thought that comes into your mind, bring into captivity. Arrest. How do you do that? When a thought comes and knocks at the door of your mind... And you know that it's a wrong thought, maybe a thought of lust or jealousy or worry or anxiety or whatever it is. When a thought comes and knocks at the door of your mind, if you know that it's a good thought, it's okay, you can entertain that. But if you know that it's a bad thought, you say, I arrest you. That means I don't want you. I refuse to let you in. I refuse to let you into my heart. I am not going to entertain you. Go away. I don't want you. I arrest you. I refuse to think of you. That's how you bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But by any chance, if you ever happen to entertain a wrong thought, it doesn't take much time. It may take just a few seconds or maybe half a minute. You happen to entertain that wrong thought. The moment you realize it, immediately confess it to God and say, Oh God, I'm sorry, I entertained that wrong thought for a minute. I confess it, I forsake it, I don't want it. And then 1 John 1 9, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess every sin. Even if it is in your thought life, the moment you realize you have committed it. Let me say, about, uh, say a word about the word confess. You know, the word confess means say the same thing. That's the meaning of the word. Eh? Uh, in the Malayalam translation, it is exact. The Malayalam word used is exact. So, confess means say the same thing. Homo lagavo, that's a word in Greek. Homo means the same. You know, homo sapiens, homosexuals. Homo means the same. Lagavo means to speak. Speak the same thing. That's the meaning of the word confess. That's how it is translated like et to paraiga in Malayalam. Say the same thing. That's the meaning. So when God says you have sinned, you say, yes, I have sinned. That's confession. Saying anything else is not confession. Very often, instead of confessing our sin, we say so many other things about that sin. Suppose you got angry at your wife the wrong way. Okay? The wrong kind of anger. 
And the spirit of God says, hey, you have confessed. Uh, you, you have sinned. What do you say? I said that because she said it first. That's not confession. That is giving the context or the reason. Sometimes you may say, well, that's my weakness. That is not what the spirit said. So that also is not confession. Or you may say, this runs in the family. I got it from my grandfather. They were all short and bad. Well, that's narrating family history. There is no verse in the Bible that says, if you narrate family history, God will forgive you. All that we need to say is, say exactly what God says. What did he say? You have sinned. And when you confess, you say, I have sinned. That's confession. Don't say anything more. Don't say anything less. Confession is saying what God says. So, if you ever entertain a wrong thought or cast a wrong look at someone, a wrong imagination, wrong desire, the moment you realize it, immediately confess it. And that is cleansed. And your heart is clean and pure again. That is how you perfect holiness in the fear of God. You fear God. Therefore, you refuse to entertain even a single wrong thought in your heart. You say no to it. But by any chance, if it finds an entry into your heart, the moment you realize it, confess it to God and God forgives you. And that is how you maintain a clean heart. Now let me ask you a question. Is this something impossible? Very often people say, you know, we think that, oh, living a holy life is something impossible. No, we just cannot do that. That's simply not true. No, I'm not talking about being perfect. You know, we may fail. Evil thoughts may come and knock at the door of our heart. Then how you handle them? That's important. Say no to them. In case they find an entry by some chance, immediately confess it and keep your heart clean. Now, after a minute, that same thought may come back to you ten times. I'll tell you that. But the moment it comes back, immediately handle it. And then keep your heart pure. A holy man is a happy man. We are not happy very often because we have wrong thoughts entertained in our heart. You know that verse, I think I quoted it the other day, Psalm 45, that's quoted in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, in connection with the Lord Jesus. What is that verse? He hated iniquity and loved righteousness. Therefore, God thy God has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy brothers. God will anoint you with the oil of gladness more than others when you hate iniquity and love righteousness. How do you prove you hate iniquity? By not allowing any evil thought in your heart. That's how you prove that you hate sin. And as I said, as human beings, we may fall into sin sometimes. And if you ever do, immediately confess it. And set it right with God. And God will pour on your head an anointing of gladness more than your brothers. You will always be rejoicing. You will be happy. Because you don't have any wrong thought in your heart. You know, even here uh, in the morning... When people see me, they ask you, Uncle, did you sleep well? Everywhere people ask that. You know, that's a good way of greeting. Huh? 
many of you ask me here also, Uncle, did you sleep well? Uh, I say yes. But sometimes I say, well, I sleep well because I have nothing against anyone in my heart. So why shouldn't I sleep? If you have thoughts of jealousy and anger and bitterness and competition in your heart, you go to bed and you, go, you don't sleep. I sometimes say, well, of course I slept well because I have nothing against anyone in my heart. You can sleep well. You can rejoice. Not because you are a perfect man, but because you do not entertain anything in your heart that you know to be sinful. And you deal with it. We, we have many imperfections, no doubt. But when you realize it, you go to God with it. You take it to God and you deal with it. And you are happy in your heart. So, to fear God is to obey Him in secret. Uh, to, to maintain purity in your secret life. Let me show you another thing. If you will come with me to Genesis chapter 22. That is where we read Abraham offering Isaac as a sacrifice. And in verse 12 of that chapter, Genesis 22, 12, God tells Abraham, And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. See, Abraham is the first man who got a certificate or commendation from God as one who feared God. This is that verse. Here is the first commendation God gave to any man as one who feared God. When you start reading from the book of Genesis. So the first certificate God gave to any man as a man who feared God. Of course we read the same thing about Job also. But I am just talking in the sequence of the book. Book, books in the Bible. So the first instance where God certified a man as a man who feared God was Abraham. Now I know that you fear me, God says. Now what's the context of that? God had told Abraham to offer his son Isaac. I'm pretty sure no one else had heard what God had told him. You think Sarah heard it? What do the sisters think? What do the mothers think? You think Sarah heard what God told him to do? I don't think so. Because if she had heard in all probability, she would not have allowed Abraham to take her son. And, Abraham, uh, and Isaac himself did not know because he is asking, where is the lamb? And the servants, of course, there was no way they, they would have known. Abraham was the only man who knew what God had asked him to do. And even if he had not done that, no one would have found out. No one would have considered Abraham as a disobedient man. Because no one knows what God had asked him to do. But Abraham got up early in the morning, got ready. He's on his way to Mount Moriah. And there he almost killed his son, almost offered him. And God says, now I know that you fear me. How did God know that? Even when no one had known what God had asked Abraham to do, even when no one would have found out that Abraham was disobeying God if he had not gone to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, still Abraham got up and went to 
offer Isaac. And that proves in the eyes of God that this man truly fears me. I want to derive another principle from that. To fear God, number two, is to obey God in your secret life. The first thing we said, to fear God is to keep our inner life pure. Number two, to fear God is to obey God in our secret life. That is, even when no one else knows what God has asked you to do, you still do that. Only because you fear God. You know, as we are all seated here now, suppose an angel lands here in front of all of us and calls one of you by name and says, God asks you to go to the worst country in the world, North Korea. That's the worst country in the world, okay? So, God is asking you to go to North Korea as a missionary. And the angel disappears. So, the angel calls you by name. So, all of us heard it. And we know that now you are meant to go to North Korea as a missionary. Leave your IT job in Bangalore and go to North Korea. Okay? Will you go or not? I think most probably you will go. Even if you don't fear God, you will still go. Because all of us heard what God said. If you don't go, people will keep asking you, when are you going to North Korea? <laughs> okay? And suppose I come for your next camp, the first thing I'm going to ask you, hey, you didn't go. The last camp God told you to go, you didn't go. And finally you think, oh, let me go. See, you may go because you fear people. Because you want a testimony. Suppose God speaks to you in secret. No angel comes here. No one knows that God has asked you to do that. Will you go? That shows whether you truly fear God or not. You know, that is just a crude example. So, to fear God is to obey him in our secret life. When you read the scriptures in the morning, God speaks to you. No one knows what God has spoken to you. Maybe something strange, something that is out of the ordinary. God has spoken to you this morning. Will you obey that? No one knows. Even if you don't obey, no one is going to find out because no one knows what God has told you to do. But if you say, Lord, I will obey you. Even if no man knows that, I'm going to do that because you spoke to me, I fear you. That is what it means to fear God. To fear God is to obey God in secret. A third thing. Genesis chapter 17. You know, before the incident in Genesis 22, when Abraham obeyed God in secret, God had told something to Abraham in chapter 17. In verse 1, the last part of that verse 1, Genesis 17, 1. I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. God had asked him in chapter 17 to walk before God. I think Abraham was walking before God. That is why he could obey God in chapter 22. What does it mean to walk before God? To walk before God is to walk every day of our life, put each step forward, conscious of the fact that God sees me and knows every step I take. I am always conscious of God's presence. To walk before God is to walk before the light of the face of God, the countenance of God. 
very often we walk before men we walk before other believers we are concerned of what they will think we walk before our elders we walk before our parents or we are all concerned what 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 would they think that is walking before men and walking before god is god i am conscious of the fact that god sees me all the time he knows what's going on in my life i am living under the light of his face if you are conscious of that you will always live a holy life even if you put even if we put you in antarctica where there is no human being you will still live a holy life there because you are walking before god in psalm 16 there is a verse it's in a different context of course but that verse is i have set the lord always before me have you done that i have set the lord always before me 24 hours of the day i have set the lord before me if you set the lord before you wherever you go any part of the world you will still live a holy life because you are not living before the eyes of your parents you know some children when they are at home in the gulf or in kerala in the assemblies they are very good children because their parents are there assembly members are there but when they go off to some far off place to study where there's not even a single believer probably there's no church also in some places and there's no one to supervise you no one knows what what you are doing there if they live a bad life if they fall into bad company do things that are evil that shows they they lived a good life so far in the eyes of their parents and their church members when you are all alone in a place where no one is there to supervise you no one knows you you start committing sin that shows that you don't fear god but a person who walks before god you put him anywhere in the world he will still walk before god that's something very very important god told abraham abraham walk thou before me you know one classic example of this is joseph we i mentioned about him yesterday but in this context let me speak of him again when that lady uh, potiphar's wife uh, forced him to sin what did he say he didn't say oh there may be cctv camera here uh, i might be found out that's not what he said he didn't say if your husband comes to know this i'm sure i'll be dismissed from the job that's not what he said you know joseph's mother had died long back and his father is sitting in a far off country old man and his siblings nobody is there in egypt there's not a single soul who knows joseph you know what joseph said how can i do this wickedness and sin against my god what a man that lady in effect was saying hey there's nobody in the room no one will find out no one here my husband is not here nobody is in the room but joseph in effect said no lady you are wrong god is here i am not living before the eyes of your husband i am living before the eyes of my god how can i commit this wickedness and sin against my god joseph was conscious of the presence of god in that room it is that consciousness that kept him from evil do you see how we perfect holiness in the fear of god 
when you fear god you keep away from all forms of evil that's the last thing i would like to say please uh, uh turn with me to the book of proverbs book of proverbs 8 and verse 13 here is the fourth thing about the fear of god proverbs 8 and verse 13 the fear of the lord is to hate evil that's the fourth thing i want to say to fear god is to hate all forms of evil in job 1 and verse 1 here is a commendation god gives to job job was one of the earliest characters in the bible and this is what god says there was a man in the land of uz and all that eh? a man perfect and upright one that feared god and hated evil that's a mark of fear in god you fear god and hate evil to fear god is to keep away from all forms of evil we read uh, proverbs 8:13 also look at 16:6 Proverbs 16 and verse 6 By mercy and truth iniquity is purged and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil By the fear of the Lord men depart from evil So to fear God is to keep away from all forms of evil Is there anything in your life that you know to be displeasing to God Is there anything any relationship any desire any imagination any scheming any planning anything in your life any habit you know is displeasing to god to fear god is to keep away from all forms of evil and hate sin with all your heart we said four things to fear god is to keep our inner life pure number 2 to fear god is to obey him in secret Number 3 to fear God is to walk before the face of God conscious of God's presence all the time and number 4 to fear God is to keep away from all forms of evil and to hate evil with all our heart when you truly fear God you will increase in holiness i hope you understand it now let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of god when we when we fear god we will be perfecting holiness will be progressing in holiness i am sure god has spoken to us this morning search your inner life and see how it is we are not talking about external testimony that's important but that's not what we are talking about now look into your own heart and see the condition of your heart whether you truly fear god whether you are walking before the face of men or are you walking before the face of god do you hate sin in all areas of life with all your heart may god help us and shall we pray dear lord we thank you for this wonderful hour that you granted to us to consider these most important truths in our christian life what a great thing it is to be able to walk before your face it's our prayer this morning that this may be a reality in our life that we may fear god with all our heart 
and live a life that is pleasing unto you. We offer this prayer in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.